Who's cooking your food anyway? What strange beasts lurk behind the kitchen doors? You see the chef. He's the guy without the hat, with the clipboard under his arm, maybe his name stitched in Tuscan blue on his starched white chef's coat next to those cotton Chinese buttons. But who's actually cooking your food? Are they young, ambitious culinary school grads putting in their time on the line until they get their shot at the big job? Probably not. If the chef is anything like me, the cooks are a dysfunctional, mercenary lot. Fringe dwellers, motivated by money, the peculiar lifestyle of cooking, and a grim pride. They're probably not even American. That is a page out of Kitchen Confidential by Anthony Bourdain, which is the latest book that I have added to my book club. So if you are looking for a good read, head over to my website, kyle.surf slash book club and check them out. I'm also an Amazon affiliate. So an easy way to support the podcast is to buy one of these books off of the site or use the Amazon link to make any of your future purchases. You can just bookmark that link and then anything you buy using that that link, I will get a small percentage of at no cost to you. So a super easy way to support the podcast. Um, and we all buy stuff on Amazon, let's face it. So that's an easy way to help out. Actually, I can't legally say that it supports the podcast. So your your purchase does not support the podcast. It, it goes to my dream to one day get Mimosa to play a show on my rooftop. So head over to kyle.surf slash book club, buy something on Amazon. You will be invited to that party. And if you make a big enough purchase there, you will get to stage dive off into a sea of humans with great taste in podcast. Most likely everyone will be high on copious amounts of psychedelics and it very well could change the world. So, your purchase on Amazon does not support the podcast. It goes to a fundraiser for that party. You can also support the podcast on Patreon. Uh, so head over to kyle.surf and donate. I want to take a moment to thank uh, Zach and David Foster for donating on Patreon this week. Seriously, thank you guys um, so much. Your donations allow me to prioritize this podcast, allows me to drive all around California and get interviews with these amazing people. If you can't spare five bucks or ten bucks, seriously, don't don't worry about it. Um, just listen to the podcast, share it with a friend, give it a rating on iTunes, and keep enjoying it. My guests today are Anna Ergot and Meg Haywood-Sullivan. They are two of my favorite people. They are smart, funny, sexy, motivated, um, and really good humans. They use their influence um, and their skills on behalf of conservation, um, and I tip my hat to them. So this was a conversation that we had over a couple glasses of wine in Topanga Canyon. If you don't know who uh, Meg and Anna are, Anna is a professional longboarder and filmmaker. Uh, she's been a part of films like Island Earth and From the Ground Up. She travels most of the year. She's been to Iceland, Russia, Canada, India, Sri Lanka, 
Israel, England, Namibia, South Africa, um, and just a, a fascinating human. Meg Hewitt Sullivan, I've had on the podcast before, is a photographer and conservationist. She splits her time between shooting campaigns and pushing for environmental stories through editorial features and social platforms. Meg's career has taken her from contributing to a Pulitzer Prize winning piece with the New York Times and uh, photographing the world's leading snowboard brands to documenting a feature with National Geographic Adventure, following John Muir's footsteps to the fastest retreating glacier in Yosemite. Uh, My guests always love hearing from you, so be sure to get in touch with Meg and Anna on Instagram. And as always, you can get in touch with me on my website, kyle.surf. So I hope that you enjoy uh, this conversation between Anna, Meg, and myself in Topanga Canyon. Kyle Tierman here. I'm in Cape Town. I was the only journalist in northern Nigeria. Not an adventure until you get lost in Tijuana. You get caught inside by a giant wave, you feel really alone. I love the adventure of waking up and not knowing what will happen and that being my job. I'm standing at a desert oasis right now. A lot of tourists don't see this part of Bali. Smiles and thumbs up. Thumbs up. Yes. Here we go. Oh, we were recording. Nope, nope. Here we go. Kyle, what gotta, the fuck? Gotta preheat that oven. <laughs> I thought those were great. Nope. <laughs> nah. I'm so butthurt right now. <laughs> but For now we're all right. you listening, we just had this wonderful conversation, and I thought Kyle was recording, and I was like. Yeah, Ann and I are killing it. Like it's using like big vocab words, yeah. wonderful vocab words. <laughs> I used all my big words before the podcast. Yep. <laughs> Shit. Now I'm out of words. Now we're out of words. <laughs> Damn it. You traveled 300 days last year. Yeah, just under 300 days out of the year. Holy hell. Yeah. Woo. Yeah. yeah Racking were... up those frequent flyer miles. Yep. <laughs> I feel like the only time I saw Anna we were either a quick surf session at Malibu or Topanga, or we were in some foreign country together. It was never really here. <laughs> like, I actually I think I saw you more in foreign countries than I did where we live here in LA. That's very true. Wow. Whew. Um, how tiring. It's absolutely exhausting, but I just like, it gets addictive like anything. Right. So like once I'm home, I start to get stir crazy to plan the next thing. Yeah. It's very like a uh, hunter gatherer of you. Got to move on to the next thing. Yeah. I feel just, like there's a type of clarity you get on the road. I feel like that's where yeah. I get a lot of inspiration for projects that I'm working on or ideas or poems. You know, I feel like when there is no schedule and when you, you're living moment to moment you can really root down and find places within yourself that you didn't know existed and um I don't know I feel like when Anna and I are traveling some of the the most either profound things I've ever thought or you know my next photo project has come about just from you know living on the edge yeah it's a grind but you're also like continuously pushing your comfort zone exactly because you're not um it's like it's not the medium 
zone of life. Mm -hmm. Like you're not, there's no routine. There's no schedule. Okay, get up and I'm going to put the pants on and (laughs) make my same breakfast every single day and go to the same job every single day. And, um, I think that it forces you to learn a lot about who you are in those moments of discomfort. Definitely. Mm -hmm. Like my mom always said, never marry a girl before you travel with her for an extended period of time. Because our best parts of ourselves and our worst parts of ourselves come out in those moments of discomfort. So true. And Anne and I are still best friends after how many countries? Are we at four now? Yeah. Wait. Me- no, we didn't. We haven't been to Mexico together. What? How has that happened? How is that? But we've been on so many road trips. I feel like yeah, it's made it feels up more for like ten. A lot right. of states. A lot well, of we're, states. Uh, a lot of countries. What were some memorable ones for you guys last year? Um, we did a road trip from Israel into the deserts of Jordan, which was something we kind of just like planned on a whim. We had a couple of friends in Israel and we're just really intrigued by Petra and some of the history of Jordan. Wow. It was intended to be a surf trip, but we're not naming it a surf trip because, um, the waves were, were, were on the small end. They were fun size. They were fun size, right. <laughs> but it uh, was, uh, yeah, it was a blast. It, so you flew into Israel and what was the impetus for the trip? So we flew into Tel Aviv, and the purpose of the trip, um, well, for one, it was a catalog shoot with Prana, and is sponsored by them, and I do some work with them as well. You do photography for them? Photography, yes. I'm a photographer. And, and dancing. Of, Just kidding. And, yeah, I'm a, um, uh, I'm a break dancer on the side, part-time. Anna, um, she has a little belly dancing background, but she was trying to you know, jump on the, the break dancing uh, bandwagon as well with me so you keep the morale high for the troops exactly exactly the israeli soldiers man we made some good friends <laughs> <laughs> it's important yeah keeping morale high when the waves suck on trips totally Ooh, I, can, I think that's an art we've mastered this year <laughs> yes yeah. yes actually but morocco is epic yeah okay so back to israel catalog shoot but, you know, we definitely had all these needs to fulfill for Prana, but we wanted to create like a deeper narrative too, um, to tell a story about women traveling the world together and using surfing as a tool of empowerment. Um, and so we we were working with India's first female pro surfer, Ashita. So she flew out, Anna flew out, um, our friend Lisa, who's an amazing surfer and um, creative and yogi and, uh, Nicole, who was our filmer. We all met in Tel Aviv for a fun adventure and lots and lots and lots of fucking hummus. So much hummus. Oh, too much. Bowls. <laughs> Swimming in the hummus. Yes. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. We're not joking. Still not sick of it. No. Oh. Um, and it was both of your first times to, um, the Middle East to the Middle East. Yes. Yes. Wow. Mm-hmm. What was like? I've never been there. What like? How would you describe it besides hummus? It was interesting. I think like going into it, we were kind of expecting not to be properly, tre- you know, just like treated fairly as women, and just kind of being like, okay, that's part of it, but we're still going to go in with like a pretty open mindset. But we were just blown away by how friendly people were to us. Like how everybody treated us even better because we're like a group of like just single girls kind of having fun. Like, like people were like flirtatious, but it was all friendly and light, like never threatening. That's and I feel like we were just given opportunities where somebody's like, oh, it's like a bunch of girls. Like here, take my horse, like go gallop off, have fun, like have a good time. Right. (laughs) What? Yeah. We. Why does that shit happen to me? No, no, no. True story. Anna. Well, Anna and I feel like a lot of places that we do travel together, we try and 
you know, sneak in some horse time. Uh, we def- definitely have the horse itch. But um, so we, we which is this- normally like a leisurely kind of escape from the yeah. grind. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we had this like <laughs> this fantasy of riding, like galloping on Arabian horses through the deserts of Jordan. And that actually came true, which is amazing. But it was a little um, unintentionally extreme. <laughs> <laughs> Anna's uh she got on this horse and for one like (laughs) it was just like the craziest setup um (laughs) we like show up and they bring these horses just like these random horses to like the camp we were staying at and um you know I checked the saddle and one of them was like absolutely falling off the horse and like oh yeah it's fine I'm like you know if I can't even get on the horse without the saddle falling off so I feel like galloping through the desert on a horse I don't know is probably not gonna end very well they're like no it's okay it's okay so i saw black stallion once it worked out great so we knew right off the bat that this was like i don't know like shit could go down and it did and (laughs) it got on her horse and the thing took off immediately in a full gallop (laughs) oh my gosh i was like i'm just gonna do like a little lap like trot around kind of kicked it a couple times and just go from like zero to 100 nice like what? It's like all dirt roads around there, just like straight down the dirt road, start heading for the road, which I'm like trying to avoid cars, make a right turn, head down train tracks. There's trains every hour and there's like a pretty big like sand, like burn, like like a big steep grade on either side. So I can't steer my horse off either side. The girls are in the truck, like following me, trying to like yell at my horse to get it to stop. And I like probably ran like 10 miles just down this like yeah. train track in the so, desert. So they're like, uh, Anna's just taking off down <laughs> the train tracks, going Mach 10 on arabian horse which is like the one of the fastest horses next to you know the race horses so she's going like you know speeding down with she had her hair out and all these the scarves flowing and then you have this jordanian guide with the rest of our female crew in the back of this truck like bouncing over the ruts trying to catch this horse and the horse is of course getting freaked out because the truck's chasing after it now so did you get photos we did, and then I tried to gallop after her to save her, but that didn't bode well for me. <laughs> I'll catch her. <laughs> yeah, oh, there's a God. reason why they call it horsepower. Horses are fucking terrifying. Like, you see them in movies, and oh, yeah, that's a cool animal. But then when you stand next to one in real life and you, you hear them, <laughs> oh, boy, you, this thing could go fast. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you got photos of the whole experience? Um, not photos, because I was also... Um, you know, galloping. Here, put the microphone more like directly into you your can't, face. You can't. There you hear go. Me? You're perfect. That's great. You can't. That's exactly. Battle. Yeah. It's like a okay. rap battle. <laughs> Is that good? Yeah. Okay. Um, wow. What an experience. And then uh, you guys got good waves on the trip as well. But you guys didn't feel like any kind of like sexism or um, anything like that in those countries. And well, the interesting thing um, about Jordan was we didn't see women anywhere, and we were very curious about that. Um, and uh, what we found was the women generally stay at home. The men, of course, are you know out working with the tour groups or you know working in vendors, uh, but the women stay at home, and it's traditional to have um, arranged marriages. There's a relatively high success rate of. Um, uh, you know, marriage is lasting, which is interesting. But yeah, that's because they're afraid that they're going to get killed if they get divorced. I don't know. We I mean, I, there's there's still nine countries where women can be killed for infidelity. That's gnarly. But honestly, like, I mean, 
fucking wild yeah. world that we live in. Oh, that's definitely gnarly. But honestly, like, I knew, we all knew going into it, you know, being a group of women traveling to a, you know, a foreign country that has viewpoints that are very different than our own. You know, of course, like, we may not agree with certain things, but, you know, it was, um, it was fascinating to have discussions and, and, you know, to, to have like educated perspectives on both sides of the coin. And, you know, we made some really great friends and had some really great debates and, um, yeah, I mean, I felt nothing but empowered by the end of it. I think that the cool thing about traveling is you meet real people. And if, if most people, if most people judged Americans by our politicians, they would hate us. Right. Totally. But it's, it's the same with other countries. Like you need to meet other people, even even countries where that we've been at war with. Like you can sit down to a table with a family, and most times they're super cool, mm-hmm. and you can find common ground with them. But you you don't find that unless you go on that trip, right? That's so true. And then you 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 walk a mile in their footsteps, and you realize that like, whoa, it was by complete chance that you were born on this patch of dirt, and I was born. Like mm-hmm. on that porch, that patch of dirt, and like it totally could have been switched. Mm-hmm. No, right. it's true. Now there was a really interesting moment, um, and I think I see it now more in the photo. And Anna, you'll remember it, but it's this photograph that I took of Anna and Nicole walking out of the gates of Petra, and there are these two guys that had, uh, you know tour guides on donkeys that had been following us all day you know we'd bump into them and they're just really sweet you know casual banter that we're all around the same age group and they're listening to american rap music you know on their donkeys which are dressed up in traditional jordanian garb and we're just like having a moment at sunset like walking out of the gates of petra and i'm just like wow like this moment you know there's there's so much history there too totally and we're all like yeah, there's so, you know, we all are different. Yes, but it doesn't matter. And there's like beauty to that. And to be able to share moments like this on the road, I feel like Anna and I definitely, um, we're fortunate to, to have a lot of opportunities like that. And to add to that, I think the world is only so big. Like the more we travel, the more we realize that there is just like no real differences between people of different races and cultures. You just start noticing more and more similarities, and I think that's why the Earth, like the world, is increasingly peaceful right now. Because before it was always like, oh, they're the other people, like they think differently, they're cruel and unusual because this, this, and this. But like once you start traveling, you really realize that like everybody wants the same thing. They want like a peaceful existence. They want their kids to like inherit like a happy and healthy world, and to have those similarities that like really bring us together. Yeah, I 100% agree. And in an increasingly connected world. We get to hear those stories yeah. person to person. And um, that kind of propaganda just doesn't fly as much. There's still obviously a ton of propaganda in the media. Oh, but yeah. the the um, the proliferation of just someone being able to create their own media network, someone be able to, being able to create their own Instagram, and you know, all of a sudden you are friends with, you say it was an Israeli surfer, was it one of the first female Israeli? In- Indian. Indian yep. surfers, one mm-hmm. of the first Indian female surfers. Like All of your judgments about her go out the window when you meet her, and you're like, oh, this is 
Scroll super cool. Yeah, and we were friends on Instagram well before we this was even, you know, uh, an idea in our heads with the, about this trip. So, I mean, actually, Anna and I were, <laughs> were Instagram friends before we actually met, too. Do you find that that happens with uh, a lot of your friends? Like, you'll, you'll see them on Instagram because you'll have similar, similar interests to them and then figure out a way to collaborate, and then the friendship evolves from that? Like you guys are Recently pretty... with these trips, because I think we're trying to like find girls that are down to travel, like not necessarily like roughing it, but not necessarily staying at resorts. And I think that there are like there is a pretty like small network of girls that are really into that. Right. And so it's kind of like open doors for us to travel to places and be like, cool, we want to go to Chile. Let's like find a cool Chilean girl who like wants to like surf with us and hang and shows around and shows like a slice of her life. And I think like social media is so cool for that reason. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did you go, and you were in Chile as well? I that mean, was I mean like to, an idea we're kind of playing with for one of the next trips. Okay. Chile, Indonesia, Japan. Wow. So, and all, we're trying to weave these, these narratives of, um, you know, not being afraid to go out of your comfort zone and to encourage other women to do so. I mean, I really feel like this is the time of the woman. It sounds super you know, kind of dumb to say, but you know, you're seeing look at the women's march, look at the me too movement, look at, um, you know, the top three grossing films last year were, um, had female leads, uh, you know, the first, uh, female DP to, um, uh, film a major motion picture, black Panther that films out right now. Um, I feel like we're finally like this momentum is going somewhere. And um, I don't know, I, I really am inspired by what we're all trying to accomplish by using surfing in our background and the action sports to encourage other women to, you know, to just go. Like, don't be afraid. Yeah. And, and honestly, too, with all of um, with all of the press around our trips and, and the photos and videos, we're not really t- mentioning too much that it's an all-female crew. We're just going out and doing it. And... Rather than, I mean, you're never going to see a trip or a shoot called like, oh, you know, like boys take over the Middle East, right? Like <laughs> Salty <that> hombres. <laughs> oh, you wouldn't, that would right. never happen. Yeah. Yeah. And I think especially for these countries where women are more oppressed, something like surfing can be a heroic act. Absolutely. I, I went to Sri Lanka a couple of years ago and uh, since the tsunami that happened there, no one wanted to go in the water. Everyone was just terrified of the water and um also no one none of the women wanted to go surfing because they didn't want to get any darker like here everyone wants to get tan but in sri lanka everyone wants to be as light as possible so uh we did interviews with um some people from the sri lankan surf club and their whole um deal was about like getting people back out like getting people unafraid of this body of water um think about it like the world's mostly water, yeah. mm-hmm. and a huge amount of people are terrified of it. Mm-hmm. So if you can get people over that fear, then it can cascade into all these other positive benefits in their life. They start thinking about themselves differently. They start gaining more self-esteem, and then it spills over. Absolutely. Yeah. And also, too, it's it's a global language. Like You do not have to speak the same tongue, and you can go out and surf together. Right. We all speak it. Anyone who's an ocean person understands it. And as you're seeing, like you can go around the world, barely speak the same language as someone, and all of a sudden you're friends. 
Yeah. Like, oh, what? We have surfing in common? <laughs> where, are the, where are the good waves? Let's go. That's where surfing is its own language. Is like, even if you don't have a textbook, you don't have access to like surf blogs or like the surf brands, just being in the ocean all the time, you start to learn like the ways of the ocean, the tides, the currents and all that. Like that takes so much time and energy to really fully understand that anybody who's gotten to that level, you feel an immediate connection with. Yep. Yeah. And you're living your life on a different um, tempo. Right. Yeah. Like you're, you are looking at the charts, you're seeing the swells, you're looking at these huge storms that are coming down from the Aleutian Islands and the Kamchatka Peninsula and down through the Atlantic and they're gaining power and, and everyone in that tribe is looking at them to make their next decision for the people who are fortunate enough to actually be traveling surfers. And you're doing it for more or less the same reason. Like you are, you are dedicating weeks of your life to experience seconds. Yep. Mm -hmm. Seconds on a wave that, that you just want to get it at that exact right <laughs> moment. Like the, 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 the experience of just seeing a wave coming through a spot like Skeleton Bay, Namibia, with just this machine-like wonder of the world. Yeah. Like people would spend weeks just for that moment and you did anna you went <laughs> and that's what makes you me appreciate yeah you went to namibia huh? i did yeah like to get it wrong so many times to have so many trips where you do get skunked to get small waves like you know how precious those are those few seconds that you're talking about of like surfing a kilometer long left like that's what makes it meaningful if you could get that every day it wouldn't be as special yeah what was that trip like for you absolutely incredible it's one of my favorite countries on earth they're just leaps and bounds ahead of the rest of the world in many ways for animal conservation for employment for just like I, there's just so much less racial tension there it seems like which i think the maybe south africa could learn some lessons from and then wave wise it's just like a very surf god blessed place yeah <laughs> um it's uh it's also just a country of sand. Yeah. Like, like <laughs> you land and you're like, there's fucking sand everywhere. Like all I see are mountains of sand. Do you know we're in a sand deficit right now? I sure Globally? do. Globally? Yeah. Where's yeah. the sand going? Where is it going, Kyle? Um, <laughs> uh, behind air and water, sand is the most used commodity in the world, and specifically beach sand, because we make our cement from sand, we make glass. glass from sand, we make most of our commodities from beach sand, because it needs to be, um, it, it can't be the fine desert grains, because uh, that doesn't stick together. So, um, I mean, I'll give you guys a scoop on a story that I'm working on right now, which is um, the Florida sand wars. So all of the sand that was put on Miami Beach, um, that is on Miami Beach right now, was placed there by someone. And historically, Miami has, has taken the sand from communities um, to the south. But now that there's the sand deficits, and since we now use it for our commodities and these storms are coming in, these communities are telling Miami to kick rocks. So they are going into a lake inland and they're sucking it out of the lake and they're placing it on uh, their beaches. Um, <laughs> and you look at, you know, the island in uh, the island and the palm in where, where, Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia. Arabia. Yeah. Yes. A lot of that was created from stolen sand from other islands. <laughs> this seems so petty. This is like the downfall of humanity. <laughs> Anna, I... You're you're a sand bandit, though. Seriously, <laughs> I, 
I mean, you you travel with sand all over. It's true. It gets in my board bag. It's always in my clothes. I'm stealing yeah. sand left and right. I think you're Sorry. guilty. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it's it's weird to think about something though. Like the like, don't bring sand to the beach. It's everywhere. Yeah, like a commodity. Like we don't even think of it as a commodity, but this this resource like sand. Yeah is going away because when you think about how how most sand was created it's created by rivers created by these rocks going down rivers and over millions of years it breaks down into these little kernels but we're in this place now where we're using more than we are replacing Mm -hmm. I, i think about this a lot like um i think about legacy a lot and how often we we all want to be remembered right we all want a legacy but how often it is that our legacy will be basically the shit that we used and left behind. Like think of like when a relative dies, part of their unintended legacy is the shit that they left behind and we had to clean up. And part of our legacy will be all the plastic bottles that we used, oh, yeah. all the resources that we used. Plastics. And like, so on a very philosophical level, I've been thinking about like, how much better the world would be if our goal was to have the most benevolent legacy possible, like campsite rules, like just leave it a little bit better than you found it from the resources that we use to the relationships that we partake in to the way that we move through life. I feel like though there's like a movement now that people are becoming more aware of trying to have a better legacy. I really do. I I see a lot of hope as much as this past year for obvious reasons has been absolute dog shit, especially in in the political realm um, and the environmental realm as well. uh, I've been really blown away by people coming out of the woodwork to use their voice and to actually start doing something. You know, yeah, there's a lot of noise on social media and a lot of words getting thrown around, but I've seen a lot of action too. Seen a lot of people you know, calling representatives, writing letters, marching, protesting. I'm, I'm hopeful. I really am. And I've seen it in myself. I've seen it in my peers. I've seen it in my friends. I've seen it in the stories that Anna and I are doing. You know, I suddenly beach cleanups are cool. Yeah. It's, and you know, like suddenly too, like, you know, protesting different legislations that are going through is, is cool. And it's, it's, and I think it's it's not just a trend. I think this is the start of something bigger. And, uh, you know, we all of us are similar age brackets. We didn't hear about climate change in school. Now it's second nature. Kids know about this. They don't need, I mean, it's like, oh, yeah, of course I know about climate change. Yeah. So this new generation coming up, we're, we're I would say we're the, fir- the first to, you know, be starting to pick up the momentum. Yeah, like we're, hopefully we're the last to have fucked the world as badly as we have hopefully um, I, we're putting a lot of hope in this next generation but i don't know from what i've seen already these kids coming up and f- from what we're all doing too i think uh, yeah. yeah but is it enough like that's that's it's like- not enough but like if you if we all can focus on progress the momentum will get greater. Yeah. You know, it can't just be all doom and gloom. Like what if all of us just like, are like, fuck it, you know, like, Oh, the world's gone to shit. You know, our glaciers are receding, you know, the ocean's yeah. desalinating yeah. the research acidif- um, you know, acidif- acidifying. Thank you. Yeah. Acidifying. Yeah. Pessimism can be very paralyzing. Definitely. Absolutely. And also recognizing the gravity of the tasks that we have ahead of, of us is the only way to, 
look at it through a sober lens. And I constantly try and go back and forth between like being having that sober view and also knowing that one person really can change the world. One idea when, when said at the right moment Mm -hmm. can change the world. So it's good to continue to push our own thinking as much as possible around this kind of stuff. And as you said, like getting politically involved, like fuck, there's a reason why politics is so boring. It's because they so they can slide all this shit by us when we won't pay attention. It's like, wait, no focus on the Super Bowl over here (laughs) while we're fucking creating these trade agreements that are going to fucking destroy countries over in this side of the world. And it's getting harder and harder for them to hide because I think people are, are caring more because they've seen what ambivalence can do. Look at who got elected. Yeah. So I'm hopeful. I like that. Yeah. And I think that collective action is very important. There's been this big, like the focus on individual gain over common good has been the theme of the last few years, right? We all want, we're all, we all want to be millionaires with six packs but we can watch our communities erode around us and no one's going to be happy. Like we really do need community Mm -hmm. to be happy. We need nature to thrive. And there's a lot of people now who are recognizing that and recognizing that like the next best thing is maybe something that we just forgot about years ago. Maybe we had it figured out a few hundred years ago and by having a respect and a reverence for those ancestors, those ways of living, that community, respect and reverence for nature, um, we can save the fucking world. I don't know. What do you guys think? Yeah, I just see so much truth to the idea of a domino effect. If there's like one thing you care about, just trying that one thing, just like reducing single-use plastics or thinking about where we're getting our food, is it like from monoculture tilled farms or is it like just trying to drive a little bit less and I feel like every little thing that we do like somebody else would be like hey like that'd be actually really easy for me to adopt like if you can do it I can too yeah yeah there is a thread that you can pull with an individual action like um bringing your own mug to the coffee shop that then that then like you continue to pull the thread you continue to pull the thread and then it's this huge tapestry where you see the global impact of plastic pollution and then you can get someone involved in collective action you can get them involved in calling their representative because it's it, it does take more than individual action. And I think that that's an important point. Like if everyone brought their own mug, it still wouldn't be enough. True. But I do think the consumer has a lot of power. Money speaks. And so if the consumer, I mean, it ties into education though. If the consumer is educated enough to, you know, refuse plastic straws at restaurants it's going to be in, in the restaurant's own best interest to stop carrying them if they're going to refuse to eat at a certain restaurant because they don't have plastic straws. Um, we have a lot of power as consumers to, to dictate where these big corporations go. And yes, purchasing power alone isn't enough, but for the you know typical human the typical i wouldn't say the average joe but you know we we all even just on the basic level of what we decide to purchase what we decide to support organic strawberries versus non-organic strawberries those decisions compound and make a huge significant impact i mean just reducing the amount of uh 
meat you consume. That's one of the greatest things as individuals we can do to affect climate change is to eat a more plant-based diet. So right there, boom, there's impact. Yeah. Changing your diet. Yeah. Food is one of those leveraged impacts. Oh, totally. I think about this a lot because not all decisions that we make are created equal. And it, it is important for us to look at like, all right, like where am I really going to put my energy here if I want to make an impact and what's going to be sustainable? Like I still eat meat, but I have, since I started hunting, I've reduced my meat consumption by probably 70% um, since then. And I think that it's imp- like we make our decisions based off of emotion, not information. And what mm-hmm. you two do very well is you create emotional stories that people can connect to your people who others quite frankly want to be like. Um, so by you, by you two making good decisions, it can have that cascading effect. And I think that's the goal here. I don't want to like hide behind some pie chart that just seems totally irrelevant to somebody who doesn't get it. I really, if I am going to do something, I really want to lead by example and do research in my own and really try things out and say, like, is this feasible? Can the average person really adopt these changes in their life? And if so, then that's something that I really want to push for. Yeah. And all of us try and keep an educated perspective because we know our platforms. I mean, it, I think, too, with social media and the rise of fake news, it's so important if you do have a platform to have an educated perspective. It doesn't have to be the perspective everyone agrees with, but, like, you know, Anna and I both read a lot and and try and keep up to date with, you know, what's happening in, you know, the environmental realm and politics and whatnot because it's important people listen to us. And there's a lot of kids, and you know, coming up that are, are turning to people like us, you know, for guidance. And, um, I kind of feel obligated in a way. And I think it's, um, it's important though, to, to utilize that. And, and well, you know what, you want to know your shit basically. Like there's no greater, like my greatest fear is like that experience of, of like saying something and like going off on something that I really have no idea what I'm talking about. Like I'm totally fine saying, I don't know. And there's a lot Mm -hmm. that I don't know too. And I'm fine being, and most rooms I sit in, I'm the idiot in the room, but it's way better to say, I don't know than it is to pretend like I know more than I do. And unfortunately a lot of people have their ego attached to, um, like their sense of self worth is externally located and they can get in trouble by rattling off some shit Mm -hmm. that they really don't know what they're talking about. And as a result, the whole, movement and and the whole their whole kind of like identity gets discredited it's true yeah there's no ego on our trips there's there's a lot of you know a lot of fart jokes i like that there's no ego on our trips that could be made into a bumper sticker <laughs> there are there's no ego on our yeah. trips. yeah you guys have both been interested in the food uh movement quite a bit huh hugely yeah what um what would you say were like a few of those events that got you um, involved in that? Um, there are so many factors. Um, I think just realizing that it really is the kind of like the easiest way to make day-to-day choices to positively infect, like affect the environment and our health, just being like, okay, like this is the thing that I need to like direct my energy towards. And just kind of realizing the, like the pull of consumer 
of consumers, like what we have, like what we're putting our money towards. And food's the one thing, like you're eating three times a day. You're making that decision three times a day. You're not buying a car every day. You're not like deciding if you need to fly somewhere every single day. But like the choices we make with our food just make huge, huge impacts. And I think like what Meg was saying, like being more plant-based is a huge part of that. And also just like, I don't know, there's so much that goes into it. Like I've been reading recently about till agriculture and just the fact like pulling these like metal plates behind a tractor that aerate the soil kills all the bacteria in the soil. And there's farmers who can test the nutritional value of their foods and they're realizing that something that hasn't been tilled can be eight times more nutritious than something that has been tilled. And just kind of, so then going on to support like, okay, like now I'm gonna support not only organic, but no till agriculture, then there's gonna be a demand for that. So I think it's just like taking things up like one step at a time, like, and that's where I don't think it's, I don't think it's that much energy needs to put on being told, being just like telling everybody like, go vegan tomorrow but rather just like take one step in the direction, in the right direction and see where that takes you and then take the next step. Yeah, and it can really enrich your life when you do um, seek transparency. Definitely. When you know where your food comes from, it it's not a burden. It enriches the experience. That's so true. Absolutely, and, and knowing where your food comes from, I mean, you know, the farm-to-table movement is a movement for a reason. Uh, you know, when you are, I mean, I'm looking at this plate of strawberries right now on the table and they're really great and delicious. And it's nice to have strawberries this time of year, even though they're not in season, but just knowing where, you know, going to the, the farmer's market, we're fortunate in this part of the world to have some of the best farmer's markets in the world. And, um, you know, over the weekend, there's this farmer's market in Mar Vista, which is my favorite. And, uh, meeting with the farmers and talking to them about how they are harvesting and, you know, selecting your orange, uh, selection based on what farmer you really connected with. I mean, that, that is something that so many people are lacking, having that intimate connection with what they're putting in their body. And it goes beyond just us. It goes you know, into supporting that type of farmer, supporting, you know, organic farming and, and the, the, the infrastructure around organic farming. And then that goes into like a, the more political realm as well. It compounds. And uh, I think if people had a deeper appreciation and connection with, with the food they eat and I mean, heck, meat. Meat is not just some saran wrapped item you find in the- Did you say perf- heck? I said heck. Heck. Heck, hmm. meat is not just some saran wrapped item you find in the grocery store. It has there's an animal attached to that, and if you had an intimate connection with it, <laughs> are you you're fucking cracking up right now? Heck, Who she lived in that? Montana for a little I bit. I lived in Montana. To... Cut me some slack. She's got some cowgirl boots. <laughs> well, Cut me some slack. Well, heck, Joe, someone left the gate oh open. <laughs> oh, I well, I dag used to say nabbit, ho- Meg. I used to say holy cow. Dag, dag it. <laughs> Joey, who left the gate open? Oh, my God. Meg, get down here right now. <laughs> oh, God. Anna's getting out her southern accent. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. I'm horrible. Speaking of farmers. <laughs> Speaking of farmers. Oh, oh I know. I totally derailed your thought. No, no, there. no. It's all good. I was going to tie in the fact that you're a hunter and you know, you know where this meat is coming from. It's not just some like ambiguous substance that tastes really fucking good in the grocery store. Yeah. And I will also be very honest in the fact that I hunt. Be- I probably started hunting 
partly because of the information that I learned about it. Mm-hmm. I learned that if if I'm going to hunt a wild pig in California, um, ethically, that can support the rest of the ecosystem. I'm sure that was part of it. But also... Mark Healy's fucking cool, and he was a hunter, too. So I'm like, oh, maybe I'll hunt, too. Like, a lot of my decision was made based off of seeing other people who I thought were cool to make that decision. So, But you look up to those people for a reason. Yes, because I respected them. Yeah. Yeah, I respect people who, th- who think deeply about their decisions and like to push themselves to the edge of whatever they do. And all, a part of it is just a completely selfish... Um, a selfish decision because I wouldn't be making it into those mountains. I wouldn't be going on those hikes if I didn't have that goal at the end of it. Just like you two probably wouldn't be going on all the trips that you're going on if you didn't have that carrot at the end of the stick that is getting a really good wave. Yeah. I think that we, ba- like, as humans, we make a lot of our decisions based off of incentives. And when we can incentivize ourselves to make good decisions, we're going to do it more. That's true. Yeah. You lived in Montana for a little while. Yeah, you are a hunter. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. <laughs> I got my hunting license. I actually do. And I don't know if the offer's still on the table for the deer hunt, but yeah, I haven't you- killed anything larger than, than a large spider. Hmm. Um, and I do eat meat, so I think it's uh, time to... Uh, to Take christen my, li- my hunting license. Yeah. I put a lot of hard work into, you know... Trap and trap and skeet, shooting good. Yeah, shooting real good. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. It's a psychedelic experience. I'll cry. Um, I will cry. I know that. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. I um, man. I, I've I'm still kind of new to the game of of hunting, but um, a ham sandwich sure does look differently after you kill a pig. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. I went on a a hunt just last month and um it was the first one that I went on where I was alone I went with another friend but we went off in two different directions and um I was hunting with my bow and it was pigs usually come out only just before dark and in the morning um so it was the evening on a a private piece of land and I was walking very quietly which I would never do if I wasn't hunting very slowly taking footsteps and I saw this um group of pigs down in this orchard that I was probably like 70 yards away from. And, uh, I saw them and I, and I walked around cause you always want to be upwind, um, or you always want to be sorry, downwind from pigs so they can't smell you. Um, and I walked around this, this, um, Canyon area and I noticed that if I went any closer to them, I wouldn't, they would see me and they would jet. So I just sat down and I said, all right, if they get any closer to me, I'm going to take the shot, and if not, no problem. So I sat down there for about 20 minutes, and I saw the pigs rooting around in this orchard, and then one started making its way up towards me. And I was thinking at a certain point, like, fuck, do I need to, like, move to another spot right now? This thing's, like, coming right at me. But I'm like, okay, I'm just going to sit down. And meanwhile, my heart's just going, I took a deep breath, and one, and it came out from behind the orchard, and it was probably 25 yards away from me. And I stood up, inhale, 70% exhale, threw the bow back, fired, and the pig and all the pigs fucking jammed out. And part of um, one thing that I learned in hunting is that you don't want to um, 
you don't want to run after the animal because they get this adrenaline spike and they'll run further. And um, one of the worst things you can do is hit an animal and then let it go. Um, so I sat back down and I wasn't sure where I had hit it. Mm-hmm. I sat back down for about five minutes, longest five minutes of my life. And then I got up and I walked down to the orchard and the pig was laying maybe 30 yards away from where I had shot it with my bow. And it was, it took its last few breaths and I sat down next to it and I put my hand on its side and it died right there. Did you cry? I didn't cry, but it was just this, it was a moment of like pure transparency of like, oh, wow, I just did this. I'm owning up to this experience. Thank you so much. Um, and the sun was going down over the hills. And when I think about that experience, when I think about that experience, well, th- when I will think about that experience years and years from now, it was one of the most human that I've ever had. And so often we're going through our lives and we're just going through the motions. Oh, I'm going to go to work. I'm going to do that. But to have that human experience was something that was special. And then I... After that, I went, I got my friend who was hunting on the other side of the mountain. We pulled the pig out together because pigs are big animals. And it's very difficult to drag them out alone. Um, we dragged him out and I field dressed the animal, which is a very intimate experience. You cut open the belly and you reach inside the body cavity and you pull out all the guts. I and love how goes, you said blah, intimate blah, blah, blah. experience. Cause that's putting it nicely. Yeah. Anna looks like she's about to vomit. <laughs> this um, is a vegan. Well. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> we, we hung the, the pig up we camped out on the property that night. We actually took the heart out and we sliced it. Then we, we, uh, sauteed it or we, <laughs> sorry, Anna, but like, <laughs> you're such a dick. Then, I'm sorry, but like, I'm, I say that because like that is like that pig lived a better life than most pigs that we eat. Right. Even as a vegan, I'm pro hunting. Right. I'm pro, yeah, yeah. I'm pro hunting. And then like the next, sure. then but the, I still don't want to touch a pig heart. Right. <laughs> and then, the, and then the next day we went back to my friend's house. He's the one who's mentoring me in, in hunting. Um, and we hung the pig up and I, we created all the cuts and that's where I'm saying like, Oh, well, this is the ham. Damn. I'm, I've had a lot of ham sandwiches. I just mm-hmm. cut that part of the pig off and we, we made sausages with it with, um, we flavored it with like jalapeno from his garden and cilantro. And it was this whole day process and it's hard work. It takes a lot to do it. But after that, it was one of the most complete experiences I've had period. Mm-hmm. And I think that if more people had those kinds of experiences, they would, man, they would just make better decisions and live more rich lives. As I was saying earlier, like transparency can enrich our lives. Definitely. Well, and hunters actually fund more conservation efforts than any other group, but more so than, you know, your granola crunchy hippie. Our hunting licenses and, and the funds from you know, all of these hunting programs go directly back into conservation and hunters know intimately the, you know, like good hunters and, you know, responsible hunters know what the populations are doing. They know what the wild boar population is doing this year. They know what the, the, you know, the deer population is doing because, 
you have to have that that intimate connection with whatever species you're you're going after because um you know in a way it's it's calling it's what nature intended and and you know if the you know it's a rough winter and there's not as many deer you won't have like a as long of a season or you won't be able to have as many um you know i'm not yeah, yeah, i'm blowing yeah. the terminology uh, here no but. no no but it's i you're you're right on and we whether it's hunters protecting uh ecosystems that ca- they care about or totally. or surfers uh, protecting ecosystems that they care about. I mean, there's a reason why surfers care about plastic pollution is because we see it all the time. And it, it seems commonplace for us to talk about the issue of plastic pollution as this global epidemic, but most people still don't know about it because they don't see plastic on the beach yeah, everywhere around the world. Yeah, somebody in Kansas has no idea. Yeah, it's just going to the trash can and disappearing. Right. So getting people to care about it, that's mm-hmm. how it starts. Yep. And that's where storytelling comes into play. Yeah. Because when you can craft stories and get people engaged, then they'll actually give a shit. Yeah. That's what we've been trying to do. Yeah. Just realizing how many people are blissfully ignorant. I think a lot of people don't want to know about these issues. And like you hunting, for example, like you're going against the grain there. You're just being like, okay, like this is something that might be like a hard truth to accept, but I want to know everything about it. I want to know what the implications are, what my impact is, like what it really means to take a life. And like, I'm willing to find out what that is. Whereas a lot of people are like, you know, I'm just so scared that this is going to change my mind. You know, I'm just going to go with what I've always done my whole life. And I think that's what we need to be worried about. Yeah. Um, but the I could, thing that I think about a lot is that those people don't win either. Like by by missing out on the real experiences of life, you don't like you don't live a more full life. Like, yeah. that's that's the reason why so many people are unhappy. Like even people who have won in the the money game. Yeah. They're still not happy. Yeah, what it treated us to be human. Like they're basically computers, like they're generating money which is printed off a machine, but like to be human really is to be outdoors and to experience like the, the, thing, the creatures we share the earth with, to get to travel, to be connected to the ocean or the mountains or whatever it is. That's what makes this special. Yeah. If everyone got their daily grounding, you know, walking in the sand, the dirt, you name it, I feel like the world would be a much different place. Yeah. We need nature to thrive. Yep. And when cities lose nature, their values fundamentally change. Yeah. Um, I, I see that just everywhere. I mean, we're like, look at where we're sitting. We're sitting in Topanga Canyon right now. And most of the people who live here have a certain value set, a certain respect for nature and a certain okayness with the temporarity, temporarity. Is that, I, don't I don't think that's a word. Is that we, word? Let's Tem- go with it. Tem- temper. Just how it's, our lives are temporary. We're here, and it's going to be gone very quickly, and that's okay. We're going to be here for 80 or 90 years, 80 or 90 years, and then it's all over. So why don't we experience this dimension as fully as possible, and why don't we try and leave the campsite a little bit nicer than we found it? Yep. Touche. Yeah. So what do you guys have coming on next? I mean, you guys are, I'm happy that I got both of you in a room. This is kind of, this is kind of uh And not in some foreign country, although that would be fun. I don't know if you'd be invited along in the girl gang, but, uh, you know, we might be able be, to make I will be the fly on the wall. Oh no, I'll be the writer. <laughs> we can make that happen. I have big sisters. I know how to hang with girls. All right. Yeah. 
Yeah, I know. I know how how to deal with like you know it, the ebbs and flows of being a woman using the energy and all those ways. Both of my sisters are masseuses, actually. Oh. Yeah. So I was uh, from from a young age like. They would give me massages and all the like surfer girls would come along and like I definitely tough, it, was, it was like tough one, life tough life yeah but it was because <laughs> I was like the little like tw- twelve year old kid who would just like hang out hey what are you guys doing <laughs> but uh, it is like I benefited a lot from being able to hang out with with girls who were friends at a young age and like I think about guys who didn't get to grow up with girls like their only relationship with girls is like on dates it's like shit you guys are a lot different when you're on dates than you are just like hanging out with each other <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh it's true yeah well our um we're definitely looking forward to some fun springtime adventures indonesia is on our on our list and uh we're hoping to weave in some information about the the plastic pollution in indo so yeah, it'll be a you know hopefully a catalog shoot, and we're gonna be getting all sorts of editorial and commercial needs. But like, the purpose is to be showcasing what's happening over there, and we want to be partnering with some of the local nonprofits that are working on actively working within the plastic pollution issue on a local level. And uh, cool, yeah. Yeah. So it ha- just have a, like a deeper a deeper trip and yeah. then also surf a lot. Yeah. That's easy to do in Indo and Asia is ground zero for plastic pollution right now. Yep, it is. Yeah. I just had, um, Marcus Erickson on my podcast who, um, is the co-founder of five gyre. Um, he, he wrote a book called junk. He sailed from California to Hawaii on this, this raft that he created out of plastic bottles. Um, and he was telling me that right now in Indonesia, one of the big fights is against the plastic pollution companies or the plastic companies. I was so associated with saying plastic pollution companies, but it's plastic companies that are uh, pushing these countries to build incinerators because as the global production of plastic increases, they need that plastic to go somewhere. So um, if people start recycling, if people start moving towards zero waste and only using products that they um, can regenerate, their profits go down. So they're pushing these countries to take out huge loans and adopt incinerators where they burn the plastic and then they get this new ship, shipment in every single year. So what, what he and um, his colleagues at Five Gyre are working on on the industrial level is um, working with these companies, to, or w- sorry, working with these countries to develop zero waste systems instead of incinerators. And we, we I need think that. that'll get that'll be pretty easy to set up. I think within the last couple of decades, like this plastic problem's really, you know, like really come up. But before that, like most countries in Asia were serving meals on on things like banana leaves. And that history, like that you know, like that information isn't completely gone yet. Like the older generations know that there is a way to exist without plastic. They just assume that plastic is like cheaper, like more convenient. But as soon as like these issues really come up and they're like, okay, wait, this like plastic that we're putting into the ocean every day, like now it's coming back. Now it's washing in from other countries. Like maybe we were onto something before these Western ways came. Well, and then once it starts affecting tourism, which I'm sure it already has been, 
I mean, you're talking dollars and, and money speaks as much as I'd like to, to think everyone's really in it because they believe in it and they just want to be good human and good steward of the planet. Money speaks. And if tourism is going to be affected by people not wanting to go and spend, you know, their precious two weeks of vacation sitting on a beach full of plastic, I mean, that that's going to make some waves right there. Yeah. Yeah. It is. Uh, it is cool. There's a there's a group that you guys should connect with there called Projects Clean Uluwatu. Have you heard of them? No. They're cool. So one of the issues in Indo, um, in addition to plastic pollution, is liquid waste. A lot of the warungs there use cooking oils that then go out directly into the sea. And um, I did a, a micro documentary at Uluwatu where there's this, showed all of these, the cooking oil from the warungs that goes into this cesspool that then when it floods during in the rainy season goes directly out into the ocean. Um, so this group called Projects Clean Uluwatu raised a bunch of money to develop this liquid waste processing system to process this waste before it went out there. Um, and they're doing a lot of good work. So as much as there are big problems out there, um, it sure is cool to see people taking action and stepping up to them. It's important to highlight that progress. It really is like what we were talking about earlier. You know, that's that's the purpose of, you know, what we're dedicating our, our lives and storytelling to. So, you know, there is a lot of good out there. It's just being overshadowed. That's our show, everybody. I'm going to play you out with a song called Lost by Mimosa. And when you're listening to this song, I want you to picture yourself on my rooftop with the band playing behind you. You're probably shirtless, psyching yourself up to take a stage dive into a sea of hundreds of beautiful people. And when you have that image in your mind, head over to my website, kyle.surf, and make a donation because you know that your donation will be going towards making that party happen. My guests always love hearing from you. Anna and Meg are on Instagram, so... Be sure to get in touch with them. Write them something nice if you enjoyed this podcast. You can also get in touch with me on my website, kyle.surf. Recommendations for new guests, feedback on the podcast. I love hearing from all of you smart people out there. You have great taste. Great taste. Um, That's it. Enjoy the song, and I will see you soon.
sins we have brought upon us. And look down upon us with forgiveness for all the sins we will have in the future. I know you understand that niggas ain't perfect. We try, Lord. We try to keep our heads up in bad times. This is a bad time. Show us the way. And if you can't show us the way, forgive us for being lost.